Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 1231 Fan Midday Show. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. Let's hit the phones. Guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers. Commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Eddie Gill's taking some time with us. You hear him on the Pacers Radio Network. We'll again tonight with Mark Boyle and Pat Boylan. Eddie on the call on the analyst side last night between the Pacers and the Lakers. Eddie, first of all, great to meet you last night for the first time. And to start about last night's game, Eddie, I don't think this team has played a better first half than they did an evening ago. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. First, uh, great to connect last night. Thank you guys for having me again. Um, yeah, first half was was superb. They did a great job of obviously scoring. Execution was, was superb offensively. Uh, great to see Tyrese Halliburton back in the lineup. You saw what he was able to do in terms of getting himself shots and, and looked like he was right back in routine, didn't miss a beat. And also being able to find his teammates. Thought Neesmith had a big time first half. Obviously, Miles Turner had a, had a really, really good half and a really good game overall as well. And uh, beyond that, did a nice job defensively. Held that team to, to 54 points in, in the first half. And uh, and really, we're, we're on their way to, to having a really nice game. Eddie, it's Jimmy. When you look at Coach Carlos' comments, obviously mentioning the free throw discrepancy in the fourth quarter, it was kind of a debate here in our first segment. Did you feel it was more because the Pacers were being less of the aggressor or, or more that it just a, a weird anomaly in terms of the grand scheme of the way fourth quarters are usually officiated in the NBA, yeah, I, I would say I would say a combination of the two. Huh. Um, the, I, I would say the discrepancy that there there was it, w- it was significant and something that's you know rarely if, if ever seen. Now 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 having said that, I think two things can be true. Uh, I think the other side of that is you had one team shooting jump shots for. for you know, for the most part, being on the perimeter, and another team just decided they were going to put their head down and get inside the paint and attack that that paint uh, area every single possession, which in turn they they got into the penalty. I think seven oh four maybe on the clock in the fourth quarter, uh, and and from that point on they just continued to attack, 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 and and then found themselves at the free throw line. So um, I, I don't I, by any means by any means do I think the officiating had uh, some some big impact on the game. Uh, in terms of uh, the lopsided officiating, I thought it was called the way the way it probably should have to some degree. Maybe they missed some calls here and there, uh, but there were definitely some mistakes made um, on the Pacers' behalf that contributed to to their their failures offensively. Um, so I, yeah, I don't I don't blame the officials for what happened for what happened in that fourth quarter. Eddie Gill's our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Eddie, I heard you and Mark talking about this briefly last night on my way home that you know Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nemhard usually have gotten the responsibility this season of guarding the opposing team's best player and Neesmith got a whole lot of LeBron James last night and man he performed 24 points in 35 minutes hit five threes how impressive for a young guy is that that he can defend a guy like James and still put up those numbers extremely impressive I think it's really impressive I think he was completely locked in on the game uh, obviously uh we talked about you know those two guys. They draw 
the the best defensive assignments um, night in and night out, right? And and, and Neesmith is a guy he could be guarding uh, Damian Lillard one night, and then you know the next night he's guarding Anthony Davis. <laughs> Um, you know, so in terms of his flexibility and 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 um, obviously, you know, in terms of size, there's a mismatch sometimes where he has to guard bigger guys, but he definitely takes the challenge and uh, has struggled of late a little bit shooting the basketball. So it was really good to see him get back in rhythm there. But you know, being able to to stay locked in on both ends of the floor is, is definitely a task when you're talking about guarding LeBron James on one end. And again, making some time for us of the Pacers Radio Network from the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Eddie, you look at Tyrese Halliburton, his return last night. I want to get into that in a moment, but first, it officially being announced that he's going to be a part of the Eastern Conference All-Stars. As a 22-year-old, to have an achievement like that already under your belt, just your overall takeaways from his impact on the organization, but also what it means to have just a budding superstar right in front of our eyes, get a nod like that this early in his career. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a, it's a fantastic achievement uh, at any time in your career, but when you're able to get it, get it done that early on, uh, basically his first uh, full year here with, with the Pacers and um, he's really embraced his role as a leader here on this team, uh, really embraced uh, the, the, the spirit of what they're trying to accomplish as, as a team and just Love what he brings, his energy, his his, uh, his competitive spirit, and how he's able to make plays for this team. You know, leading the league in assists. You know, there's there's no coincidence there, and and definitely picking his spots to be aggressive to score. Um, and, and one thing that that he was he was able to do uh, early on, you know, obviously prior to injuries, he was able to to show that he has the closing ability late in games. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately they they weren't able to get it done last night, but he's he's had a tremendous season. Uh, very, very well deserved. He's he's clearly one of the best young point guards in the game. Eddie, you're a guy that played for a long time. You have seen pretty much everything there is to see in this league from an on court standpoint. Uh, how easy that Halliburton made it look last night, coming back from that extended break. Uh, from a player perspective, how difficult is it to do what he did so seamlessly? Yeah, it was real, it was extremely impressive. Uh, when you when you have that amount of time off, there's 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 two factors in terms of uh, routine continuity with your teammates, and then also the conditioning aspect. Um, I, I think those are the things you cannot replicate game like situations. But he clearly has done uh, everything he needed to do to prepare himself to get back into that that situation and be productive. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a task. You had to stay up to speed conditioning wise. Um, and then just ultimately being able to go out there and get that rhythm uh, back with his teammates is, is is really really impressive. And uh, I thought they did a nice job adjusting him out there on the floor because he brings a different flair to the game. Eddie, it's 11 of 12 the Pacers have dropped since Halliburton originally was out with injury. Obviously, he's back. That's a nice positive. And whether you're glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy, the league always presents opportunities. And this one, a quick turnaround in about 24 hours against the Kings. Uh, what are your keys, kind of an early preview on that of how the Pacers can bounce back in the win column against, even though De'Aaron Fox won't be out there, a Kings team that is, has surprised many in terms of what they've built so far in the Western Conference standings to this point? Yeah, after um, you know playing outstanding basketball for, for pretty much uh, two and a half quarters, three quarters, uh, and then struggling in, in one quarter, it's great to be able to get back out on the floor the next night. Um, so to look for to see the team to 
kind of just wiped the slate clean and, and erased that from their memory. I understand they can improve from some of the mistakes we get out there and have another chance to compete against a really good team. Uh, to your point, this isn't the Kings uh, of recent history where they've been the, the in the basement of the Western Conference over the last several years. They, they've been doing a, a great job this season of showing that they're not only a contender but a playoff contender. Um, you know, capturing right now, they're you know I believe they're in the third third spot out out west, mm-hmm. and uh, they've been there for the, for the bulk of the season. Um, you know, obviously De'Aaron Fox is a, is a guy who uh, is again one of the most dynamic point guards in, in the game. Uh, without him, but they, you know they still have a, a really good team. Obviously, Demontis Sabonis uh, making his return to Indianapolis. I'm sure he'll want to put on a good showing as well. Eddie. Daniel Tice making his Pacers debut last night. I realize we're six days away from the trade deadline. You never know what can happen. I'm not asking you about that. But let's say that Daniel Tice is a piece for the Pacers that sticks around here and he ends up playing a role down the stretch. What can he bring to that position most to back up Miles Turner? Uh, I think a, a tremendous defensive focus. Um, that, that's a, an area of focus and sometimes a struggle for the Pacers uh, periodically throughout the season. Uh, you want to continue to, to to lock in on that end of the floor, and if you were able to to, to watch him at all with the Celtics, he was a, one of the their big time contributors on, on that end. Uh, he does a great job in pick and roll situations. We know that's like the the uh, most important or probably most run uh, play, if you will, in the NBA. You got to have bigs who can move and, and have good mobility uh, and react and recover. So he's able to do that does a great job rebounding, and then also uh, he, he has a great offensive IQ, so he knows uh, where the ball should go. He can finish around the rim, so I, I, I like what he does uh, at, at that position at the backup center. Pacers currently sit 11th in the Eastern Conference standings and a big stretch of games for them. I mean, let's face it, Eddie, and you've been through the grind of the season, so you know that how many more expectations, how much pressure gets put on teams trying to make playoff, or in this case, play-in slash playoff pushes. We're not even at the all-star break yet. We're knocking on it, but we're not quite there. Brennan mentioned the trade deadline. Again, I'm not going to get in specifics there of who would be on the move in your mind, but what do you need to see over these next three games before the deadline to know that with Halliburton back out there and with the rest of not just the starters in this rookie class, but the role players coming off the bench, what do you need to see as a complete effort from this team over these next three games to know they're in a right spot when we turn the calendar in a sense, for the second half of the season? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, for this team, you know, is moving forward, um, is being able to sustain a significant effort and focus for 48 minutes. And that's, you know, that, that's probably the focus for every team. But I think your margins of error uh, may, may increase or decrease depending on your opponent. And you look at the, the, the next few games, you know, there is, you know, real uh, tough competition when you're looking at Sacramento, Cleveland coming in on Sunday, and then, uh, and then you go down to Miami. So just looking three games out, it's not getting any easier. <laughs> and even after that, it, it won't get any easier. So those uh, fundamental things are super important, just being able to lock in. Um, you know, there was talk, significant talk about slower starts um, in, in early on in the season. That's, that's been problematic Late here of late. They've had decent starts and then having problems closing, just playing a stretch of 48 minutes of, of good basketball. That doesn't mean you're, you're making every single shot or you're not making mistakes and, and those types of things. But just uh, from a from a scouting point standpoint, 
from an energy standpoint, from a competition standpoint, can you can you sustain those things for 48 minutes? Eddie Gill, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Eddie, last one from me. I uh, haven't had a chance to ask you yet as recently. Again, Mark Boyle, number 3,000 with the Pacers. You being able to join him as an analyst, uh, What you played in the league for a long time. You had a long, long basketball career. But what have you learned further about the game from working with a guy like him? Well, it's it's been um, a great experience. I, I tell you what, each and every night I, I get a chance to do it. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, you know, you referenced my playing career. I, I never thought about you know the radio, TV, any of that kind of thing. I was uh, focused on what I was doing, but you know, I obviously knew that the you know the, the radio covered the game and that kind of thing. But I never really understand the nuance, the intricacies, the amount of detail uh, that goes into it. And I'm sure different guys do it different ways, but. I can tell you, Mark is uh, extremely detail oriented. Uh, the picture that he paints, uh, you know, while he's going doing his play by play, it's 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 pretty, uh, it's really impressive to to see and be a part of. And and um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, and he, and he's fun to work with. Eddie Gill, you'll hear him again tonight as the Pacers take on the Kings. Coverage on the fans starting at 6.30, and then the tip time at 7 from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Eddie, thanks again for the time, man. We'll see you a little bit later. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me. Eddie Gill with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pacers might have lost, but Tyree Taliburton's taking a victory lap. Just tip of the cap to the Pacers All-Star. We just joked about it last segment. Tyrese Halliburton, the most subtle response, the most subtle just jab back at Wally Zerbiak, just putting his mug on his Twitter Abbey after overcoming the, oh, he's a fake All-Star comments from earlier in the year. Just a beautiful chapter and verse on that little back and forth. I just love it. It's awesome. It's perfect, and it's... Another reason to get behind this Pacers team. And even though they lost last night, I, I love the love the confidence that he exudes. Uh, KB, I assume, based on just the way the articles, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us, of Kevin and Query, I assume based on the articles that I found on that, that this has only happened within the last hour or so. Uh, maybe it did happen earlier in the day, and you noticed it. But uh, either way, if you didn't know that, what are your reactions to the now All-Star uh, making the checkmate move as it were with such subtlety and grace uh yeah pettiness on point there <laughs> to say the least um you know in all seriousness i think that whole whatever it was storyline for a couple of nights i think that helped tyrese halliburton's all-star candidacy yeah um just because it got a little bit more nationalized and you know in being around professional sports and covering it for you know about a decade or so, you you really find these guys will look for some crazy things for motivation. Um, and in Halliburton's case, you know, I think anytime you're kind of publicly called out like that, you're you're just naturally as a competitor going to be wired to you know want to achieve something. that's always been a goal of his, and I'm just glad that he got the nod. I think you know so many times you see guys that that don't feel like they're getting the credit that they deserve and. For him to get that and then go out and play, I thought really well last night. I know the fourth quarter there were some definite struggles, but I was just so impressed by how you hardly saw any rust in the first couple of quarters. And, boy, you watch this team over the last three weeks, 
Um, you're Tyrese Halliburton's agent. you got to be a happy man watching how poorly the Pacers play, knowing how much your client means to this team and this franchise. And I thought he was important. I didn't know he was that important. Kev, how about, as you said, the first half? Because I was in the building, not sure if you were, but not only shooting 54% from three, Tyrese so seamlessly getting back in the swing of things and performing the way he did in the first half. And then how they defended LeBron and especially Russ. I mean, that was, we were just talking with Eddie Gill, that was about as good of his first half as I think they played all season. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that stood out to me initially was just Halliburton, hardly any rust. Um, It's always impressive to me how, for a guy that, you know, is not some just crazy, insane athlete, how easily he's able to get into the paint or around the paint. And then he's just extremely intelligent and is always a step ahead of everybody out there. Uh, It it seemed like, um, you know, there is just a guy that exudes confidence and guys kind of feed off that. And, I mean, how about the night like Aaron Neesmith had? I mean, Neesmith has shot it horrible in the month of January. And I just think Halliburton's presence is able to help you out uh, big time in in that area. I would have liked to have seen him. I know he didn't shoot it great from three, but, you know, when he got Anthony Davis switched on him there late, Halliburton, I, I was hoping that he would have done kind of that patented Halliburton step back three, and he decided to drive on Davis, and, of course, Davis kind of ate that up. Uh, but, again, the big picture of this season, and I know it's it, it's hard to admit after last night because you're playing LeBron, Halliburton's back, you've lost 10 of 11, you, you know, have led for 45, 46 minutes. Like, no one wants to hear kind of competitive, entertaining loss. But to be in those moments against LeBron, against Anthony Davis, against Russell Westbrook, those are all so important for this team and continuing to grow and continuing to achieve what the big goal was at the start of the season. And that was experience, great individual growth, and the wins and losses are kind of on the back burner. And that's kind of what my expectations were at for this team to start the year, KB. And and then all that winning happened out of the gate. And whether you want to point to the schedule or just point to the, the great chemistry in, in general, this locker room has exuded and how sharp they've been on both ends of the floor prior to the Halliburton injury. I mean, yeah, it kind of reset expectations for a second. But as you look at that now, because you're right, no one wants to hear and maybe the more knowledgeable Pacers fan understands the situation, but if you're a casual Pacers fan or you just, you know, are way, way more idealistic versus optimistic or, or a pessimist, maybe you're thinking, oh, this team could make some noise and make a run to the conference finals. I, I know you and I aren't saying that, but I'm sure there's people out there that are that insane. Um, <laughs> when you look at that aspect, though, of wins and losses not being a massive uh, expectation for us to start the year, and now all of a sudden they're in this camp where they could make the play-in slash maybe move up in the seating if the next couple of weeks go right. Where do you change how you judge this team, if at all? Yeah, I don't. Um, and, and I will admit that I, I probably am a little bit more big picture than most. And, and when Kevin Pritchard and company committed to this rebuild, um, I said, good, you know, don't don't half-ass the rebuild, though. I, I'm not one of these people that sit here and think, oh, the Pacers will never win at the highest level in the NBA in this market. I mean, they were a game away from the finals against LeBron. Yeah. The year before that, they were two games away. They obviously made the championship, you know, against the Lakers. I mean, they have been there at, as a franchise, different iterations of that franchise. And if you look at the NBA right now, you can point to some middle to small market teams that have built championship type rosters. Not easy, 
but they have done that, and I think that's what the Pacers' goal should be. And that's why I look at last night, and, you know, again, in the short term, in the immediate aftermath of it, for Brendan King walking out of that arena and the 15,000, 16,000 that also did, uh, I guess there are probably a couple thousand of Lakers fans in there, but for the vast majority of people, they were probably pissed. But if you look at it and maybe try to look at last year's draft, the Pacers had the sixth overall pick. If you look at the first six names of last year's draft, take out Chet Holmgren because he hasn't played this year, but the first five I think have all had pretty good rookie seasons. Um, if you get a little bit lower than that, it starts to get sketchy. What if the Pacers would have ended up at eighth and drafted Dyson Daniels? What if the Pacers would have ended up at tenth and taken Johnny Davis? I mean, you would not be in the same sort of situation as a franchise. So that's why when I look at the final 30 games, I know it's a lot of games and they're the healthiest they've been all season. But the best case scenario for me when you look ahead is to be back in the lottery and to be as high up in the lottery as you can. And you've got a couple of picks to help you, I think, get higher in the lottery if you need to trade up. Uh, But I think it's clear to me, um, as promising as this season has been, you are still a major piece. Um, you could argue a couple of pieces away, but I would say one major piece and kind of one French piece away from being, you know, a legit, somewhat contending team in the Eastern Conference. Kevin Bowen's with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the MowerShop.com. Kev, that's what I was about to get into. I heard you, I think you were talking with John about kind of the missing ingredient feels like that stretch athletic four that can make threes and defend well to yep. play next to Miles. Um we were talking about this earlier, me and Jimmy, that there's this plethora now of backup centers all of a sudden because Daniel Tice is seemingly back. We'll see what happens in the next six days with the trade deadline, but he made his debut last night. Isaiah Jackson had that nice dunk last night. Jalen Smith was a DNP, and Goga Batadze kind of just feels like more so a glorified cheerleader on the end of that bench now, unfortunately. So can they turn that wealth of just center depth now since they re-signed Miles into something that can maybe help out with your wish of that stretch four? Yeah, I I don't know if you can get to the quality that you would like, but I think guys like Goga, guys like Daniel Tice, even Chris Duarte, those are all names that I would not even think or anything close to untouchable here in the next six days. I'd honestly throw TJ McConnell on that list. And I know there's Agreed. plenty of reasons to, to retain a guy like him, but he's a 30-year-old um, point guard that, in an ideal world, Tyrese Halliburton's your starter and Andrew Nemhard is your backup. Now, maybe you've been exposed and think that Nemhard can play a little bit more off the ball. I, I don't know if that's what you want him consistently doing 82 nights out of the year. I think it's nice to have that option. But I think ideally, if he was running the show for that second unit, then you would have very like-minded, very similar style point guards in the starting group and the backup group. Um, and I think that would be great. So uh, if you're able to net anything, I think, in return for those guys, particularly the top three, I think you got to do it. Because as you said, BK, I mean, there was a log jam in that front court. I mean, last night, Jalen Smith was a DNP coach's decision. And that's happened a lot here as of late. Isaiah Jackson has seen some of that. So uh, that, to me, has been the most disappointing aspect of the season. It's not a year that's filled with much of that, but the fact that you don't have any young bigs that you really are intrigued by, um, I think kind of added to the importance of needing to re-sign Turner. Um, but something that stood out to me in the fourth quarter, and I, I heard you guys talking about it a little bit earlier, with Eddie Gill of 
you know, how much was that bad whistle in the fourth quarter? How much of that was just poor, uh, I shouldn't say poor, lack of aggressiveness? I'd probably go a little bit more to the latter. Of I just felt like the Lakers from the first minute of that fourth quarter said, we are going to live in the paint. We are going to attack, attack, attack. And they dominated the paint. They dominated at the rim. And when you're the aggressor like that, you're going to get to the, the foul line. Honestly, it was very reminiscent of how um, – I felt like the Pacers, it was similar to how IU reacted on Tuesday night when they got into the bonus kind of early in the second half. And then all of a sudden, it became a very perimeter-based offense the rest of the way. I mean, just, just look at the three-point attempts for the two teams last night. The Pacers shoot 41 threes. The Lakers shoot 22. If you're going to have a 19-attempt difference in three-point shots. You're going to have a big difference usually at the foul line. And that's exactly what you saw. And again, I think it was a little bit more of the athleticism, outbullied nature. The Pacers are kind of playing smaller right now. Again, Neesmith is is like this bigger power forward. O'Shea Brissett, is he like an ideal four? Probably not. And so with all of that, I just think you are a team that at times gets exposed athletically. And that's why the long 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", guys, I think it's really an area where the Pacers need to try and improve. Kevin Bowen, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. They got you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. KB, you had an article on 1075thefan.com where folks can find your work in regards to the print and digital realms of things. Headline weighing pros and cons of each Colts head coaching candidate. You reviewed the names that are left in theory after those moves made Wednesday afternoon that saw D'Amico Ryan to the Texans and Sean Payton to Denver. Uh, With those remaining candidates, what did you learn? You made that pros and cons list. I I like to imagine you sitting down before you wrote that on a yellow legal pad, putting those pros and cons (laughs) to work. Uh, What what were your takeaways? Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm 33 years old, Jimmy, not not 63, (laughs) but Nonetheless, I am a huge yellow legal pad fan, and I'm a huge uh, specific pen person. I know there was that tweet a few weeks ago that came out about which pen do you enjoy using. I, I'm, a, I'm a stickler when it comes to the ballpoint action. Um, yeah, pros and cons, how would I weigh it? Um, I'd probably side with the two offensive coordinators still, Brian Callahan, a slight nod over Shane Steichen. Um you know, in terms of the next group for me, Raheem Morris, um, you know, when I look at a resume like an Aaron Glenn, who they just interviewed Lions defensive coordinator, I get a little bit of Mike Vrabel vibes to it. You know, I, when you look at Vrabel's resume before he took the Houston job, he had been coaching for four years in the NFL and had been a coordinator for one year. Like, that experience scares away, I think, so many people. But – you know, Tennessee able to find something in him. And in a way, I think Glenn kind of has some of that. You could argue he honestly has more experience, similar playing career. He's a former NFL scout. I think that's kind of an interesting um, you know, piece to his resume you don't typically see either. Uh, you know, some of the leadership guys and Rich Passaccia and Week Martindale, I think Colts fans should view a little bit more in a this could happen light because – why Jeff Saturday is even being entertained as a candidate is because of his leadership. Uh, that's a big deal to Chris Bowden and Jim Mercer. I know it's a word and leader of men. We all like to make fun of that, and probably rightfully so. 
But that matters. And I think if you were to ask Bowder or say, do they care more about leader or offensive mind? Boy, I could see them saying leader before the offensive mind, even though the trend in today's NFL certainly is much more offensive based. So that's where you see Martindale. You think a little Bruce Arians from Rich Passaccia's standpoint. I mean, he's been lauded from the leadership um, leadership element throughout his career. Chris Ballard has a connection to him. So um, I think you can make a case, certainly, for why these guys are of interest to the Colts. But, again, I keep on coming back to the offense and just how important that side of the ball is, how much you need a reshift there, how much you need stability for the young quarterback. I think that's such an issue for teams that draft young quarterbacks. Oftentimes you aren't able to create stability around him, whether that's personnel stability or probably more so coaching stability. I think that's a big, big issue. So um, D'Amico Ryans and Brian Callahan were the two guys that when Frank Wright got fired that I wanted to see. And obviously Ryans is not going to be the coach. So I'll, uh, I'll go with Brian Callahan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The way that the division now is shaking out, you just brought up Mike Vrabel and what he's been able to do in Tennessee. I realize the Titans maybe look at their weakest point right now, which is who is on that roster. But, of course, they have a coach that they trust in. The Jaguars all of a sudden are the juggernaut of the division, it seems, and they have the brightest future of anybody. They got the quarterback and the coach figured out. You just mentioned the name D'Amico Ryans, and at least that's a breath of fresh air for Houston that they got one of the better, if not the best, defensive coordinators in the game. And then that leaves Indianapolis. So you, you take a look now at who's around you in the division how much does that frighten you just by the leadership that's gonna you're gonna have to play twice a year at each stop? Yeah, frighten and AFC South usually don't go hand in yes. hand, but um I couldn't agree more with you, to be honest with you, Brendan. I, I you know, when you talk about pillars of an organization, head coach and quarterback are those pillars. And right now, obviously you have major questions here in Indianapolis and what your pillars are gonna be at those spots. I mean, you look at Jacksonville right now, they feel really, really good about those two spots. You look at Tennessee, and I would say they feel really good about one of the two. Uh, Malik Willis, I think, needs a whole lot of development before you would even think about him in a similar light. And you look at Houston, and they at least have some hope at those two spots. Like, the D'Amico Ryan sentiment for me is much different than David Cawley and Lovey Smith each of the last two hiring cycles. Uh, and they obviously have the number two overall pick, and theoretically – with 12 draft picks, they could easily trade back up to one and have their pick at, at quarterback. So it's the most hope I've seen within the division. Again, teams like Houston, they've got to turn it into actual results on the field. But for the other three teams, we're just used to them being kind of free spaces on the bingo card, and they're just not bad. There is, I think, real legitimate hope, Jacksonville having clearly the most. And as much as, again, Tennessee, you know, people I think just kind of look at them with a little bit of a stigma. They continue to be right there despite all the injuries, despite being built in a weird way. And now they've got a new GM. Maybe they won't be built kind of in the same way that they have been as more of a run-focused team. Obviously, when you have Henry, that's always going to be there. But maybe you have a GM now that's not going to trade A.J. Brown. Uh, and they had two huge injuries at the start of the season at left tackle with Taylor Lewan and their, and their best pass rusher, probably the best pass rusher in the division and Harold Landry as well. So 
this is a different looking AFC South. Now, the good news is, and again, this is all on paper because I probably would have said this last year about the NFC East at this time. You play the NFC South next year. That is a, I mean, <laughs> name me the best quarterback in the NFC South. Like, yeah. I don't know if there is one. Um, so I, I do think that Desmond Ritter. The division. Just, <laughs> seriously. I mean, Sam Darnold. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, Probably it's, Darnold. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild to to look at it um, from that standpoint. So, uh, to your point, Brendan, I think it's a really good one. I think there are some legit reasons for hope across the AFC South. And now, you know, the Colts will try and kind of take their first step towards that hope here at the head coaching hire. And then in late April, seemingly with the quarterback draft pick. Kevin, what's the thought of how much authority – Chris Ballard would have whenever this coach arrives for what they do at four. Is it going to be, I mean, obviously I guess Jim Mercy has the overall overriding veto. He can do whatever he wants his team, but is the prevailing thought it's going to be a collaborative effort between new coach yet to be named and Chris Ballard, or would one have more say or pull power over the other? Well, it'd probably be naive to think, you know, cut the pie into thirds. Jim Mercer will have 33% and Ballard <laughs> have 33 and this new coach will have 33. Uh, obviously, Ursay will make the final call on it. Uh, I think Ballard will have a good amount of influence, more so than the coach. But the coach, particularly an offensive-minded coach, is going to have say in it as well. Uh, but I don't think as much. I, I don't think it's going to get to the point where, like, Ursay picks the quarterback. But I think, you know, he will associate trade up. You know, he's going to have some influence on that position. He's had influence on him before. Obviously, we've seen it here in the past 12 months a little bit more than others. Uh, But I think that is, you know, I don't know if you guys have have thought about this. Something Jake and I were talking about earlier today. Like, what the hell are they talking about in these 10-hour interviews? You know, and and I say that, like, in all seriousness, just like pure curiosity of, okay, what are you talking about? And again, I don't think it's necessarily like, if they're meeting for 10 hours, you know, probably what, seven or eight of it is actual talking. I mean, I, I would hope there's some moments to eat food or there's some moments to maybe go home and take a shower or go to a hotel or do do whatever. Um, but I think a huge chunk of that would be what's your plan at quarterback? What do you believe about that position? Um, if it's a defensive coach, hey, what's your offensive philosophy? What happens if we have great success in the first couple of seasons? How are you going to maintain that stability on that offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, I, I try to map out like hour by hour, you know, it's like one hour, okay, free agency philosophy. One hour is, you know, drafting philosophy. One hour is this would be my schedule. Uh, this would be how I would want to approach training camp. This would be my staff. This would be what I think of your roster, uh, how I view the locker room. Like, I guess you could kind of map out what eight-ish hours looks like. It's a and, seminar, I mean, Kevin. There's, there's, there's schedules. Yeah. There's breaks. Come on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, it definitely breaks. Make the most of the 15 minutes that you get to walk around the old, the old complex. Uh, and you know, we all have seen Jim Mercer and having been in rooms with him in one-on-one settings, uh, when Jim Mercer talks, that can really shrink maybe how many minutes you're going to talk there during that, uh, that particular topic. So that's just a little bit of a, uh, just a kind of a side angle. I've been like, man, what the hell do they even talk about for that long? I actually have somewhat of an answer, boys, because I never thought I would say this information. Uh, I met Joe Girardi at Cubs convention nice. because Girardi is now an analyst 
for the Cubs network or, or whatever. And the legend. I, I, I legitimately asked him because the, he had a 10-hour interview with the Cubs. Before he went to the Phillies, he interviewed for the Cubs job before David Ross got it. So we were just talking. And Kevin, no joke, I asked him the same exact question. What in the hell do you talk about for 10 hours? He said, that, but he got to request all the food. That would be on breaks for. So he, oh, yeah. Cool. So like he brought all the classic Chicago stuff, Portillo's, deep dish pizza. So like if you're interviewing in Indianapolis, I- I'm getting a cowboy ribeye from St. Elmo's sent straight to me, and I'm taking a good hour break to enjoy that. If if I'm yeah. one of the oh. yeah. So Hell, that's one of the benefits for a week at that point. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You get to request everything. Now again, I'm sure it's somewhat stressful at the same time. Uh, Kev, when it comes to the quarterback thing and I feel like the conversation at least of trading up to number one has sort of died down in the last couple weeks and that's obviously because the draft is a ways away but would the Colts and more so Ballard would they actually pull that trigger would they trade up to one oh I think if you fall in love with a guy more than everybody else in the class you would have to um I mean I'm such a believer in if you find the guy, you do everything you can to go and get him. You, you don't think or hope that person will fall into your lap. I mean, and, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. You know, when you look at, I would say, the three most consistent teams in the AFC over the last handful of seasons, you would put Kansas City, you'd put Buffalo, and you probably put Baltimore into that group. And you look at all three of them, and if I'm not mistaken, I probably need to go back and double-check it. I want to say all three franchises made the playoffs the year before they drafted their franchise quarterback, obviously Mahomes, Allen, and Lamar Jackson. And I point that out to say those three franchises weren't content with just making the playoffs. Yep. Those three the, the, those three franchises, I mean, Alex Smith and Jimmy Chiefsgate, like a, a fine career. They were having nice success with him. But even a mastermind like Andy Reid thought to himself, you know what? We need more at that position. We need stuff that I can't teach. And all three of those franchises made giant trade-ups to get those respective QBs. You know, Mahomes was, what, 25 spots, something like that, in the first round. Buffalo traded up twice uh, in the first round. They actually traded a player to initially move up and then traded up again to number seven to take Allen. And Baltimore made a big trade to get in the back end of the first round and take Lamar Jackson in the, in the following draft. So um, four to one, it, it might seem like, oh, just wait, there's no difference between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Will Levis. If you think there's a difference, you cannot sit and, and you know, oh, yeah, we, we hope or we, we think. You think any Chiefs fan is really mauling over what they gave up to move up 25 spots to get Patrick Mahomes? You think any Bills fans, like, Hey, I don't know about that 2018 second-round pick we had to throw in there to sweeten the deal to get Josh Allen. If you get it right, nothing matters. Kevin, is there a quarterback? I know we're maybe a little too early with this, but we're getting, getting closer. I mean, we're only about three or two months away. Is there a quarterback that of those top three, top four, that would really irk you or, or make you feel just kind of – Maybe not dejected, but just frustrated with the way this offseason went. Regardless of who the coach is, let's say it's a it's Callahan, but they take a quarterback who's you do not want to see come off the board. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, Will Levis is probably the most polarizing of the three. Um, he will be one that a GM gets extended or gets fired by drafting Will Will Levis. I mean, he's a guy that 
had so many issues around him this past season at Kentucky. He played through a whole lot injury-wise. But, you know, you could argue you watched Kentucky play this year. There's no way you were blown away by Levis and thought top five pick. Granted, if you probably pop in Josh Allen's film of his final season at Wyoming, you would have said the same thing. I want to say Wyoming played Oregon Allen's final year there. I think that was the one, like, big game they had. And I think he completed like 39% of his passes in that game. So I, I don't think it was like this end-all, be-all that you just totally write him off. And I do think Chris Bauer would be intrigued by the traits on and off the field that Levis brings. Uh, I've always been a little bit more Bryce Young than C.J. Stroud. Uh, now, what Stroud did in the semifinal game just blew me away. I was so impressed by what he did, um, just how he handled himself, the type of plays he made. That was a special, special sort of effort, but you know, Bryce Young, I just think, is so dynamic. I get the height concerns. I get the weight concerns. Um, and who knows? Maybe he'd be hit a whole lot more in the NFL, wouldn't be able to sustain a decade-long career, but I would say C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young would probably be a little bit on a tier above, but you know, Levis is not that far away. It would take a lot of development, and it would take a lot of coaching, but this is another element of the drafting of a quarterback that's necessary. I mean, Mahomes sat for a year and then won MVP. Josh Allen, his rookie year, did not look like Josh Allen now. I mean, you, you, you know, Burrow is is a rare exception. You don't get these guys that are finished products. And I would say specifically in Levis's case, a whole lot of development would be needed. Kev, you led me right in my next question. I'm a Bryce Young guy too. I've made that very aware on this show, especially. But when if you draft a guy like that, would you feel comfortable enough to throw him into the atrocity that has been the Colts' offensive line from the last year? Because if you do not feel comfortable, as in Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay, that would mean you have to go back to the carousel and find a veteran to try and play over him again. So do you feel comfortable enough to put a la a Bryce Young in that spot? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I think you're going to have some questions you have to ask yourself this offseason. Um, is Brian Kelly still playing at the level that his contract says? Uh, I would argue no. Um, so what do you do there? What do you do at right guard? You know, I, I think the other three spots are pretty much set in stone. I do think Bernard Ryman showed you something late in the year, but still, you know, I don't know if you'd label him. A, a, I mean, you certainly wouldn't, I, I guess, label him a top half left tackle so far. I am a play the rookie right away type of guy. I think baptism by fire is kind of the best way to get used to all of that and experience all that. Obviously, there's plenty of examples that you could point to that it worked and that it didn't work. And, you know, when guys rest for a year, you know, in Mahomes' case, again, I mean, that obviously worked out brilliantly. But I'll be super curious, Brendan, to see what they do on the O-line. You know, how much do they think that was a concern, that was a worry? I thought Frank Reich said it pretty well early in the week. You know, when asked about his Indy tenure during his opening press conference about Carolina and really this past season what the issue was, Frank said we could not get the ball down the field vertically. And there's a lot of things that play into that. But that, to me, was the Colts' biggest issue last season. And, again, O-line plays into that, quarterback plays into that, wide receiver personnel plays into that. But if you don't threaten a defense in today's NFL further than – seven yards, you're just going to be suffocated on a week-in, week-out basis. And it's why the Colts had one of the worst offenses the NFL has seen in years. You know, it's very similar to, you know, when a guy can't, you know, shoot outside the paint. All right, we're just going to pack it. We're going to sit in our zone, and we're going to dare you to shoot. 
good luck. Um, so to me, you know, offensive line plays into that. And really, you think all three of these QBs have pretty good arms. You know, it's not like you're dealing with, and you would hope not if you're drafting the top five. You know, arm strength is going to have to be there. But Bryce Young, for me, Brendan, creator. I, we had Dane Brugler on a couple months ago. Stud. The, the, the quarterback position is not a passer, it's a creator. And to me, Bryce Young creates things. And I get the height, I get the concern there, but I still think he can be pretty darn dynamic at the NFL level. Mm. Indiana or Purdue tomorrow? God, I've gone back and forth. Have we seen a line on it? Eddie said one. Is that right, Eddie? Toss up. Purdue. Purdue, Purdue one. one. Purdue minus one. Yeah, Purdue fair by one. I saw the, I saw the ESPN analytics at Indiana winning the game. Um, I just think that building is a 10-point difference. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think IU has a 10-point advantage in big-time environments in that building. Um, I have thought to myself, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are wise beyond their years, and why should I doubt them? Uh, But I still think that building just gives Indiana a slight, slight advantage. So um, I will go with IU. uh, But, man, again, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer make make me want to go with Purdue. That's two IU picks, one from KB, one from Jay Cook. That will be, that'll be interesting. Where are you going, BK? Are uh, you going boilers? It's hard not to, Kev. It's hard not to, Kev. Do you think the big guys just cancel each other out? Is that what we're thinking there? And it's well, supporting the, the, Kev? The, you can cancel Edie out, but to me, Purdue has just has more weapons. I, I don't think IU can beat Purdue with two guys, Kev. I think it's a big day defensively yeah. for Indiana. That's that was my counterpoint to Brendan. I think they let Indy get his, but they, they handle everything else. And, and the other counterpoint I would throw out there is Indiana has weapons inside of that building that don't show up outside of the building. Like, if you yeah. look at their last two yeah. games inside of there, they've shot at like 50-some percent, 60-some percent from three. And then you see them at Maryland, you see them at Minnesota, and they can't throw it into the ocean. So <laughs> I just feel – and last year, I mean, you know, you imagine us talking the day of the game last year and saying – Robert Fennessy is going to have 20, 22 <laughs> points in the game. You know, we would have been laughed at, but that's exactly what he did. And, you know, he won't have to buy a drink in the city of Bloomington ever again. Yeah. Uh, Kev, last thing. So Trey Galloway's going for 40 is what you're telling me. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Easy now. you got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, last thing, Pacers-Kings tonight. You going with an all-revenge game parlay. Buddy, Tyrese, and Domas all over their points. Mm. Mm. I like the thought process there, and I'm picturing Trey Galloway shooting 20 floaters to get to his 40 points total. <laughs> is what Jimmy Cook asked me. I like that. I say hammer those overs. That is a nice. Is that a Brendan King, Jay Cook parlay there? That's a BK um, parlay right I there. I like it. Okay, um, I can get behind that. Yeah, high scoring game in, in, inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Sign me up for that, especially because Halliburton played really poorly in this first matchup. Um, I think yeah, Buddy did too. I like it. So. Yeah. Good call. Kev, thank you as always for making the time for us. Have a wonderful weekend, and uh, we'll holler at you next week. Hopefully there's uh, maybe round four of the interviews will arrive by then. Uh, just stop. Please don't <laughs> say that. Uh, great work, boys. Have a great weekend, all three of you. We'll talk see, to you. See you, Kev. That is Kevin Bowen. Coming to us from the Mower Shop in Fishers Hotline, the Mower Shop in Fishers for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, services, and so much more. They'll be covered at the Mower Shop in Fishers and themotorshop.com. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at KBowen1070, and of course, hear him weekdays here on the fan, 7 to 10 a.m. with Jake Query, Kevin and Query. If you're not making it a part of your mornings, you should now. Be careful. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison, DriveHubler.com studio. It is good to check in with our guy, Joey Molinaro. You know him, you love him. All those social media impressions, skits, videos, Joey, our guy who got his start here with the fan, and he's with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com from down in Mobile. My man, Joey, how's the Senior Bowl? Senior Bowl is good, man. Uh, I got to ask, though, yeah. with you going by BK, are, are you seeing any royalties with these Burger King commercials <laughs> that are going nuts? Have it your way. No, I. you know, I have not seen... Whopper, 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 whopper. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've not seen any checks in the mail, brother. But but maybe someday, you know. Okay, I just didn't know if they were sending you anything or if they just totally ruined your life yet. So no, no, I, I you know what? I I got called Burger King enough in second and third grade every time I saw somebody that it's just scarred in my mind. So now that everybody's sending me that stuff, <laughs> it just brings up PTSD from grade school. To be honest with you. Well, I'm sorry I had to trigger you on a Friday. <laughs> That's okay. So <laughs> I, I I guess I should have realized this. I was wondering what toe I should dip in the water if we were going to start silly or end silly, and I liked it. Joey has taken us down the silly road right away, so I'm going to start this way then. Uh, Joey, you tweeted out three hours ago about being at the Senior Bowl, your top five senior citizens. Um, Yeah. I know how big a Star Wars guy you are. So are we pandering a little bit with Lee Corso in the top spot over Yoda? Well, you know, I had to tip the cap to Lee Corso, you know, given the fact that he's a real person. Uh, (laughs) You know, Yoda, that's where I felt like I walked the fine line there because Yoda and, you know, fantasy senior citizens is definitely the top spot. Uh, But given the fact that uh, it was a mix of both, uh, you know, fictional and real folks, because you see I had Frank Costanza at number five. A classic there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the fine line there that I walked is that Lee Corso is, in fact, a uh, person among us, and Yoda is, uh, you know, a Muppet far, far away. Uh, hey, this might be a hard question, and I'm not going to ask you for your favorite because it's impossible, but Seinfeld episode that stands out to you that you love. Oh, gosh. Uh, man. See, that's like – it's a hard question. That, that's why I didn't ask for your favorite. And, and, and I love all of them so much. Uh, What's one that you, you watched know, lately? Then, well, I like you know I like the ones like uh, the the one uh, where they go to the mall in the parking garage and they can't find the <laughs> yeah. car that they came in. Yeah, um, I love the. Uh, the, the the Chinese restaurant, right? Where they're just in the Chinese restaurant for the entire time. You know, the ones that they really drive home the fact of how it's a show about nothing. Um, I think that's fantastic, you know? Because it's just like, what if you can make a 30-minute sitcom episode and and that kind of comedy and laughter out of that, you're doing something right. So those, those, are, those are typically my favorite. And then anything... I mean, uh, pretty much all of them center around something to do with George, and thankfully so. But, I mean, Costanza is probably my all-time favorite TV character. 
you know. Man. So anything with George is 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 just all time for me. Well, I, I love the little skit modern Seinfeld videos. Those are fantastic. If you haven't seen those, check That's out fun. Joey's Twitter at Joey Molinero. Mine is uh, the black and white cookie where it's just Jerry and Elaine oh, yeah. in the bakery, the cinnamon and chocolate babka. Those are oh yeah, that's that's a great one. And you know what? Shout out to um, if you guys are looking for those, right? Because Jerry makes them look so good on that episode. Yeah, uh, Trader Trader Joe's Bobkas. They actually have them. They dude, they have like a, a a box of like eight, and they're kind of smaller ones. Okay, but they're fantastic. Yeah, they're like the perfect. Like Jerry says, you know, it's a perfect harmony. And and, and ah yes, the black and, and white cookie. Like, Right, the black and white cookie, and then you have, uh, and then you, you know, it's just just the right amount after dinner. It's not too much of, you know, you're not eating a whole cookie, you're not eating a whole piece of cake or a carton of ice cream. It's like a little mini one. You get the sweets, you're good to go. Check it out if you're wanting one of those. It's really, really good. I love it. Joey Molinero, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MotorShop.com. You can obviously follow him on Twitter if you aren't already, and if you're not, what are you doing? You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Molinero. Joey, when did you add or or because i know you obviously started out like you always tell uh, you with your buddies before before you started uh posting on social media with your nick saban impersonations uh-huh. uh how early on did you know you had a good jim ursay down or was that one you've added in the last two or three years yeah it's a good question uh jay cook i haven't i haven't uh been asked that much about ursay that's been one that's been yeah, probably the last two or three years. I'd say um, right before the pandemic hit, I was kind of uh, experimenting around with with Ursay, and so then I dropped a couple of him, like trying to recruit Andrew Luck back to the Colts. <laughs> uh, yeah, they try to keep they try to keep the luck alive, and so really I kind of stumbled upon it because it was like I was using that premise as an avenue to bring the luck around because he was retired. Right. But then in that, found hey. You know, I don't have too bad of an ursay, you know. So um, added that to the arsenal, and then once, obviously, luck is you know no no more, and and is uh, you know the NFL Bigfoot, if you will. Like you just it, whenever you see him around, you're like, holy god, he's still alive. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, and then with that, so with ursay, I was like, eh, I've sat in on enough Chris Ballard press conferences and heard his sound bites. Let's let's fire that one up. And, uh, yeah, so then added in Chris, and that's really made a fun dynamic there with uh, all the craziness that's going on <laughs> over there on West 56th Street over the last couple of years. Joey Molinero is our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. So, Joey, you put out the Ursay Ballard head coaching shirts video on January 27th. You wake up sometime on January 31st. Jim Ursay is quote-tweeting you with a laughing emoji. Your thoughts? immediately after that are what good for him for being able to laugh at himself i guess number <laughs> one uh and then number two is it can't be too good for jeff saturday's uh candidacy for <laughs> head coach right now given the fact that uh, the entire premise of it is chris ballard just telling jim that uh He's not an NFL head coach so <laughs> i don't see here's the thing though is i don't know if that with Mr. Ursay, I don't know if he's laughing at it as like, oh, my God, that, you know, that's so true. We're not going to hire Jeff. Or if he's laughing at it like, you're damn right I'm going to do it. You know, like he's just so excited to say, I'm going to laugh in your face because that's exactly what I'm going to do. 
So it's going to be fun to see you here over the next, I don't know, for, for, for what we see with the Colts head coaching search right now. It could be the next week or it could be until training camp before they have a head coach. Who knows? So it should be fun to watch. Are you... my, favorite thing, my, my, my favorite thing about – so like I was thinking about this real quick. Like My favorite thing about Jim Irsay is the fact that everyone is always like, oh, Jim Irsay, he's, you know, this, this man's a little unhinged, right? Like he's – we never know what Mr. Irsay is going to do, right? And I'm like, wouldn't you be unhinged if you were an NFL <laughs> owner? Like this man has millions – billions of dollars to, to run a football team. Right, like if I win a three hundred dollar parlay bet, I'm like, I, we're getting bottle service tonight, guys. Let's go. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want from this guy. I, I, I kind of don't blame him. Would you agree though that, and, and and maybe it's it's not fair, but like he he is the one that you often immediately think of when you go off the list. I mean, Jerry Jones is probably on there as well. Robert Kraft recently, the last two or three years, like he he's of those first three or four owners you think of when you think of owners that you don't want to try to read tea leaves on because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, no, in each of those, each of those for like different reasons, kind of, <laughs> you know, like Jerry isn't as necessarily unhinged as just the fact that like, he just, he, he's kind of a, I don't know if I could say that. Yeah, he just he just loves the, the the camera and loves himself some Jerry so much. Mm-hmm. So like he always wants to be cut away. Yeah. He always wants to have the interview. He always wants to be seen on the field. We know all that. Um, but then, yeah, with, with Mr. Ursay, it seems like he's kind of, uh, and this may scare some Colts fans, but it seems like he's really trying to model himself after the late Al Davis. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's entertaining, I'd say, but I don't know if um, in terms of, uh, you know, the football personnel or kind of the results that you're wanting, if that's the best thing, but you know, I gotta again. I gotta tip my cap for laughing at himself, apparently, and I gotta tip my cap to him just leaning fully into. You know what? I'm Jim Mercer. I'm gonna be firing from the 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 you know the hip of my. I don't even know what that saying is. Firing from the seat of my pants. Is that what it is? Close, I think. Yeah, I'll give it to you. I, yeah, you that sounds good. <laughs> Flying from the seat of my pants. I, I don't know. Is. My yeah. wife is trying to say that's what it is. One of those things. I'm, I'm, this is what this is perfect for Ursa because he wouldn't know what it is either. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey Molinero is our guest with us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline. Joey, changing the attention to tomorrow afternoon in Bloomington, big ball game. Purdue and IU both are ranked for the first time in a while going into a matchup. I know, well, we know where your heritage lies when it comes to that, but your thoughts. Thoughts on what's happening tomorrow at Assembly Hall? Yeah, man. I, you know, I take off my uh, my, my Purdue crew neck for a second. I guess just look at from, like you said. I mean, we all grew up. Well, BK, did you grow up in Indiana? I can't remember. Uh, Chicago Southside. Chicago. Okay. Well, you know, what Jimmy knows that. Like, when you're growing up, it's like you have your different things in, in the state of Indiana that everybody kind of has like a different feel about. Right. Yep. You know, and, and like Purdue IU, you know, in February or January or early March was always like one of those. It's like, even if you're not really, you didn't go to the schools or you're really a fan of any of the schools. Like you're kind of like, Oh yeah, Purdue IU this way. Like you, you know that it's happening. So it's, I mean, it's a big deal. So then especially when both of them are ranked, um, that makes it an even bigger deal. And then the fact that Purdue is off to the best start in school history and they're number one in the country, an even bigger deal, right? So, um, but then putting on my, my, my Purdue hat, it's like, I just, I hate, 
I, I don't like Assembly Hall. I don't like watching games there. I don't like the construction of it. It's so steep. It's so narrow. It's so – I just – I'm not a fan of Assembly Hall at all, really. And the fact that people want to online talk about the comparison of Assembly Hall versus Mackey Arena, I just I, – I don't, I don't really see the – I don't really see the parallels there at all. Uh, I think Mackie blows it away in both construction as well as fan environment, as well as noise, as well as all home court advantage, all that. Um, so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, that IU is going to come out um, hot and, and, and really, really fired up. And I'm sure that Purdue will have to take multiple punches, right? Um, but you know, Purdue has shown time and time again this year, multiple times over the past, you know, seven to 10 years, I'd say down in Bloomington that they'll take the punches and they'll fire right back. And whether they have to get out of there with a four point win, or hopefully if they can smack them by 24, then, uh, I think they'll do that. Have your expectations changed over the, I mean, I know that the tournament runs have ended shorter than. Purdue fans would like, but have your expectations changed at all as a Purdue fan or as a Purdue supporter uh, over the last three or four years where you've seen them pretty consistently uh, towards the top of the polls? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it is, you know, it, it, it's frustrating and there's always that kind of um, gloom and doom hanging over the sure. top uh, of your head you know, to where it kind of starts creeping in, right, at certain moments of like, oh, this is great, right? But, you know, what, what's going to happen the third weekend in March, you know? <laughs> or this is fun, but what's, you know, I feel like it's kind of there. Right. Um, but, hey, I mean, you know, BK knows as a Cubs guy. Jimmy, you know me as a, as a big Cubs guy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got it's got to break through eventually. Yeah, Seal, Seal's got to break eventually, you know, and if uh, it can happen for uh, the Northsiders up there in baseball, then, you know, I have faith that, uh, you know, Matt Painter is a good enough coach and, uh, you know, the players and the, the culture and the program that has been set there that, you know, you get enough, you get enough tries at it, then by golly, I mean, just by default, eventually it's going to break through, right? You're going to be hopefully this year the number one overall seed, which, you know, on paper in turn should give you the easiest path, right, to, to yep. getting to that Final Four and that national championship. So, yeah, I think I'm, as a, you know, I'm kind of crossing all paths here, but I, you know, as you look at the regular season in any sport, you know, I think you really, really have to realize how important that is. You know, as a Steelers fan, it's like, yeah, we went seven and two down the stretch, but it doesn't matter when you go two and six uh, to start the season, right? And it's like, look at the Eagles. They go 14 and three or whatever it is. And they have quite literally the easiest path to the Super Bowl of all time. And people are complaining about that now. I'm like, well, that, that's why you go 14-3 and three in the regular season. So you can have that easiest path to the right. Super Bowl, the path of least resistance, right? So hopefully that's what we're seeing with Purdue um, is that they'll continue to dominate the Big Ten down the stretch, um, hopefully win the Big Ten tournament, you know, and, and, and set themselves up to be that top overall seed and, and make it to where it's the absolute path of least resistance. You earned it through the regular season get in there, take care of business in the tournament, and, and finally break through. Joey, do you get a sense that this Purdue team is different when it comes to being over, able to overachieve potentially this year in the NCAA tournament? I, re- I realize things have to go your way, and, and you got to get in the right section, and you got to probably win some games that you're not supposed to down the stretch, but is this Purdue team to you different? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I think at this point they've shown. I mean, like I said, it's, and, and and Matt Painter said it uh, in the locker room. I think before that Minnesota game, um, you know, talking about how you know if you win this game, you get the best start in the history of free basketball, right? So you know, I, I get what you're saying in terms of you know before the season, looking at where they are now. But I, I mean, I think you throw those out now because you've shown over a 20 game stretch here to start the season that one, you started the best that any team has started in the history of Purdue basketball. Uh, and two, uh, you've been number one in the country for a majority of the season. So at this point, I, I think you have to readjust those expectations and those goals. And you got to say, hey, I mean, this, this, is, our, this is who we are. Uh, and the expectation and the goal should be no less than a Final Four appearance, maybe a national championship. You know, so that, that's where you are right now. I mean, you have the, the biggest mismatch problem the best player in the country right now in Zach Eady. Um, so I feel like you throw all those things combined. It doesn't matter really what all of us are thinking September, October, leading up into the season. Now, as you sit here a month away from, you know, the big dance starting, you got to say, well, we need to be in Houston, right? I mean, this is, we were supposed to be in New Orleans last year. We need to be in Houston this year. And, you know, you got to get, just got to make it happen at the end of the day. Joey, this is a, I apologize for the awkwardness of the opening part of this question, but the, You'll see why I'm asking it in a second. Um, you, there's a number of places people can find your work, but one of them, at least, as you have listed on your Twitter bio, is the 33rd team. Um, yeah. What, what what all do you do for them? Uh, yeah, so uh, right now I'm just contracted out to do one video a week uh, for them. Um, and then there, there's various – so a lot of these partnerships I do, it's kind of like that. You know, like they'll, they'll contract me out to do – uh, you know, a video a week or two videos a week or whatever. Um, but then with that, every now and then, if they're like, hey, we're doing a giveaway or, hey, we want to enlist you to do this, um, then I'll do that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, with them, uh, just a video a week. Uh, the 33rd team is really, really cool. It's, um, you know, just a collection of uh, current and former um, NFL players, NFL coaches, NFL uh, GMs. So we got the likes of uh, Bill Cowher, Bill Parcells, um, you know, current guys playing in the league right now, uh, the, the St. Brown brothers, uh, Max Crosby, um, Trayvon Diggs from, from Dallas. Uh, and we really hit, excuse me, we hit all kind of angles. You know, those, those guys bring, you know, the insight of what's going on in the field or, or in the, the front office. Uh, we got our own um, kind of Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, and Ari uh, Myrov. He's You've seen him on Twitter, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, at my, my Sports Update. He's on there. Uh, then you got myself doing, you know, more comedic things, right? Kind of the lighter side and having fun, poking fun at, at, at professional football. So it's a really, really great collection of people with great insight. Uh, so 3013.com and then at 3013 on all social media channels. Uh, I encourage any, any football fan to, to check it out. Well, I asked that because, and again, it, that would mean that you're probably not involved in this particular big board, but they do have a big board up on 33rdteam.com for the upcoming NFL draft. And yeah. they have Levis the highest I've seen him. They have him as the top quarterback off the board. Uh, again, it's not a mock draft, but he's slated fourth overall, so that would be obviously the Colts. Again, they're not mocking him there, but your overall thoughts on Levis and just in general uh, the seniors that you were able to kind of consume or see this week and where you rank uh, the quarterbacks right now that could be in Indianapolis come two months from now. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It's going to be, you know, uh, kind of continuing with the point of Jim Mercer, Chris Ballard. I joke with my buddies is, you know, 
you, you can't you can't uh, at the end of the day i mean at least the colts are interesting you know <laughs> they may not be you know great but like there's always something whether it's a head coach whether it's a quarterback and i got both of them in the same offseason uh but there is actually a few mock drafts that has uh, levis going to the colts for 33rd team um and, and you know it, it, it's interesting I, I, a guy that i trust very very much who is really high up in terms of the nfl scouting world um yeah, i talked with him and talked to him about that and he, he, he kind of straight up with me he's just like man he really needed to be at the senior bowl this week um talking about levis right. like um, he, did, he didn't have a very good year and he's really just not a very instinctive player um so i i, I think when you look at you know somebody like that saying um, something like that about Levis. It's just you, you kind of take away what you're looking at is just, you know, and maybe maybe he, he doesn't have a great feel in the pocket, right? Maybe he's kind of a one-read kind of guy, and, and it doesn't really fully develop into where you want him to be coming in to where the Colts are going to need him right away pretty much to be your franchise guy. Um, now, the positive I'll say about Levis is, you know, uh, cannon of an arm, right? I mean, that's well documented. Um, you look at what he did, not this past year, but the year before in the SEC, um, 11 wins, right? And and, and really uh, playing well throughout the SEC kind of gauntlet and doing what not a lot of Kentucky teams have done. Um, so I think that's a positive for him, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day for me, I, I, I kind of – uh, I don't know if it's just my Nick Saban tie or what. But, uh, I, I personally, I personally feel like Bryce Young is uh, is a guy you, you got to kind of go get. There's a there's another dude. I think uh, I can't remember which front office member, GM, former GM who, who works with me at 3013. But he's just quoted as saying that he's he's like the Steph Curry of the NFL, or he's going to be like the Steph Curry of the NFL. Right, talking about Bryce Young, and you know, I think looking at. Yeah, he's a little undersized, and there's some people that would knock him for that. But he's such a—he's the opposite of what I was told about Will Levis. He's such an instinctive player. He's such a natural playmaker. He's such an assassin in the pocket that that all makes up for the lack of size that he has. Uh, you know, when he's doing the the height and weight measurements at the combine, you know. Um, so, and, and you see what he's done. I mean, he's the Heisman winner, uh, the first quarterback Heisman winner for Alabama. Um, you know, and you've seen what he's done um, against SEC play his two years as a starter coming in right away. So, for me, I'm a Bryce Young guy looking at it. Um, if you're going to be the Colts, I, I feel like he's a guy that you that you got to go get. And I know a lot of people, especially my buddies, are big on C.J. Stroud, but I don't know. I, I just think that's going to be a weird adjustment for him um, coming in. You know, he had the, literally he had an NFL wide receiver room. Uh, in college and I know people will uh, think that you know automatically about Alabama but if you look at this Alabama team especially this past year right uh they were really I mean I don't I don't know if they'll have a, a, a top three four round guy coming out of there as a wide receiver um on this team you know so he he, he was working with definitely not the same kind of tools that that uh CJ Stroud is um, and so, uh, you know, all those things just makes me more of a Bryce Young guy. I think that he's a face of the franchise type of talent, a special type of talent. And uh, I think if he were to land in Indianapolis, that eventually everybody would be pretty happy about it. Joey Molinaro. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Pro, our guest on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Joey, I know you're busy, but not sure if you have seen Tyrese Halliburton has changed his Twitter picture to a photo of Wally Zerviak. He is Indianapolis' own all-star. I know you have been tweeting about him, the game he played last night. I realize the Pacers lose to the Lakers, but, man, we got a guy, and hopefully, man, he's here to stay for a long time. Yeah, it's kind of it's very exciting. I I I'm a big fan of Tyrese Halliburton. Um, it, it's it's exciting as a Pacers fan to look and to think about the potential future with a guy like him, the extension of Turner, and everything. The kind of different pieces that that KP and everybody's putting together over there. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those uh, you know kind of going back to the Purdue fandom in me. Like we we we've seen the Pacers have their guy. You know, we've we've seen it multiple times over the past ten years. Uh, and, and each and every time that we felt, this is our guy. This is our guy that's going to be on the map. He's going to be the next Reggie, if you will. It's going to stay here and take us back to the conference finals and take us back to the finals. Uh, it's all ended in an absolute train wreck dumpster fire. Uh, so, again, I am thrilled. I'm, I'm like so excited about Tyrese and, and, and Benny Math and, and Miles Turner. I think that young core right there is phenomenal and it's something to be super excited about and it's going to be a product worth going to the field house and, and watching on tv if you can find ballet sports somehow um but i i just have that little thing in the back of my head that's like what's gonna happen when tyrese is a three-time all-star in a row and maybe a first team on nba player is he and he's you know not 23 or whatever you know is he gonna start to get that Paul George. Is he going to start to get that Victor Oladipo? And I know people will be like, he's not that kind of guy. I'm like, you all, how quickly we forget. We said the same thing yep. about Paul George. Yep. We said the same thing about Victor Oladipo. So again, let me be clear. Super pumped. I love Tyrese Halliburton. I think he, I, I think that it's going to be different. I really, truly do. But there's just that thing in the back of my head that, that gets me. I don't know. Maybe it's just, like I said, with, with hoops, the Purdue hoops, it's just a little pessimism in me. I don't know. Uh, but I, I just do take it with a grain of salt. But overall, super pumped and excited. Joey, last thing on my front. Obviously, you have so many different impressions that you could break out, and obviously the, the podcast in general. You and Ben Polizzi have been doing it is rolling right along. Uh, what is your what's your favorite new thing that you're working on right now? Whether that is a voice, whether that is just a recent project you've been working on that you're proud of. What's the what's the top new thing in the arsenal right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, these guys with uh, Ben Polizzi, uh, that that's something that I'm super pumped and have a lot of fun doing. Uh, me and him, we have a show where we just have fun, joke around, and, and BS for an hour and release it every week on Tuesdays. So you can find that anywhere you get your podcast or definitely on YouTube. We do a YouTube show, you know, so you can throw it up on there. I know people love watching podcasts via YouTube, just like people are on YouTube live with you guys right now. Um, you know, to search these guys and, and give us a subscribe and a follow there if you would. We have a, a ton of fun. Um, but then also, man, I mean, just for my own YouTube channel, really, you know, a goal coming into 2023 was to, you know, continue doing my work on my, my social channels, uh, you know, with like kind of the quick sketches and everything like that. But also, you know, looking into, you know, doing more long form, both um, comedy and long form, you know, kind of interview and, and you know, football or sports based stuff. And uh, got to put all that on, on my YouTube channel to where it's more than just, you know, kind of the minute long sketches or what have you, but people can really kind of get a full 
roundabout experience where they can, you know, have a series where each episode's 10 minutes long or whatever, or, or a full modern Seinfeld sketch that's five minutes long or, or what have you. So just trying to grow that. And, and, and my YouTube channel is just my name, just Joey Molinaro. Uh, so if everybody in my uh, hometown station where, uh, you know, I started, like you said, would want to give me a subscribe and a follow, it'd, it'd be uh, truly appreciated. Joey, last thing before we let you go, you and I connected a little bit at Cubs convention uh, a few weeks ago yeah. and you were out there doing interviews. I saw you interviewed uh, my guy, Brennan Davis, who is the future stud center fielder for the Cubbies. Uh, you enjoy your conversation with B because he's the best. Yeah, man, he was he was awesome. I mean, what a what an uh, impressive guy. What an impressive uh, physical specimen. I mean, that dude's huge. He's tall. He's got broad shoulders. And like you said, he's, he's going to be a center fielder. And so you think about having that kind of size and then he's going to be flying around out there. It's uh, Again, I, I think um, like, like with our Pacers, I think uh, the future on the north side is, is bright and, and there's a lot of young talent that's coming up, whether it's BD or, or Pete Crow Armstrong, oh, yeah. Mervis, uh, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot of those guys and seeing a lot of them here soon. So very exciting stuff. And, and he was a great guy. He even hit me up. He was like, Hey man, let's do some content together and everything. So he's thinking about, he's thinking about the brand too. So <laughs> I love appreciate it. That. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, Hey, Hey Joe, I tell you what, this summer, anytime you want to take in a South Bend Cubs game with the family, you text me, I got you tickets anytime, brother. Hey, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, love what you're doing. Congrats on, uh, you know, your success. And, and, and uh, keep crushing on the fan and uh, boiler up. Hi, right, Joey. We'll talk soon. Later. Go See you, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing, by the way. Uh, Joey Molinero taking some time. We are grateful for his time on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools.